Welcome to Optimize My Life, the ultimate radio show where we unlock the secrets to living our best lives. Now, before we dive into this exciting journey of self-improvement and empowerment, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible sponsor, The Hope Collection, for making this show possible. Their unwavering commitment to spreading hope and positivity in our lives is truly remarkable. We believe in the power of interaction, so we want you to be a part of this incredible journey. Call in, write to us, or connect on social media. We'd love to hear your questions, experiences, and challenges. Together, we'll create a thriving community of like-minded individuals, supporting each other to thrive and shine. Welcome to a special edition of Mind Matters. And I'm your host, Mary Stanley. Starting next week at this time, we are going to switch gears a little bit. And we will have a special host launching for the first time her new show, all about nutrition health. And it's not just eating correctly, but having the right mindset and how to eat for you. You know, how to enjoy food, but still eat healthy. We're going to break down and talk about different diets and what they're for. We're going to talk about how to eat and enjoy what you're eating and get the most benefits from what you're eating. We're going to even break it down to, you know, different alternatives and food and you know, you're struggling with this issue, well, it's what you need to do to adjust a little bit. That's all coming up in the new show on Nutrition with Beth Wyman. So today, we are going to talk about addiction. And when you hear addiction, most of the time you think about drugs, and alcohol. But with addiction, it's everything. It's anything. You know, there's a lot of thought processes out there that, you know, personality. Do we have one? No. All these different things are going to get broke down and talked about today. And we're why are our treatments fail? Why going through rehab over and over again, you're still failing? AAs, how those support systems become a habit, an addiction to stay sober. We're going to talk a lot about words and labels and how labels and words affect our mindset, affect how we look at things, how we perceive ourselves. Addiction itself doesn't just affect the person. It affects everybody around that person. Every aspect of your life 
and how you think. And the first thing I'd really love to talk about and break into it is the label system. Because the theory is it's supposed to be empowering. It's supposed to be great to admit when you're wrong or admit when you have a problem. That's the theory behind the mindset of addiction. You know, it's supposed to be that overwhelming first step is admitting you have a problem. All right, and you sit there and you say, I'm a daddy. I struggle with food. I struggle with shopping. I struggle with drugs. I struggle with alcohol. That theory is so outdated because the more we learn about our minds, our conscious and our subconscious, our, our thought process that we actually physically work on thinking about, and our thought process that is automatic, The more we learn about how all this works, the more there and we learn more, but yeah, our systems don't change. Our treatment plans don't change. And this is, you know, same with post-war victims. It, it, basically, this is the same basic concept for um, any mental health issue. And on our afternoon show today, um, we're going to dive more into the label concept. You know, how labels have such an impact with who we are and how we identify ourselves. And we've had quite a few guests come on the show who specialize in working solely with that, with labels, and understanding how labels are bad. So, for instance, the biggest thing like we struggle with in our household is because my kids do have a label. And it is purely for medical only and education so that they know what help they break down where they need help, but we don't use that label around our kids. They don't know their label. They just think their brains are wired differently. Because I don't want that label to influence them later on in life and influence them now in how they do things in the world. They don't want them to have that limiting belief. Now, labels have such a significant impact on individuals struggling with addiction. The effects labels are both internal and external. They can influence the way, ad, way addicts see themselves. And how they overcome the, those obstacles that they face. 
how we determine these, how these labels affect you can be put into two categories, internal and external. And let's start with the internal weight. And internally means basically how you see yourself, how you, everything is internal, it's all you within yourself. And the first thing is, is self, your perception, how you see yourself, you know, how you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, same with eating disorders. You know, you may see yourself as 300 pounds because that's the only thing you see, your mind is that powerful even though you may only weigh 100 pounds. And these labels identify your self-worth, how you see yourself. And when you're labeled with this addiction or abuser, it'll impact how you see yourself, but also how the overall, you function in society and your overall well-being. And the biggest part is, is your identity distortion. Which, you know, a person begins to see themselves primarily through their eyes of an addict. And as they keep seeing this, keep saying this, keep doing this, they'll see themselves through an addict. And so their mind and their both Conscious thoughts and non-conscious thoughts will become one. And all they see and think about is struggling with that issue. And as it keeps progressing, they will see themselves as flawed. And they will define themselves solely on, based on their addictive behaviors. It's basically like saying a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you see yourself a certain way, you're going to be a certain way. Well, some people think they're psychic because, or they're, because they think this is going to happen. And I have a feeling this is bad, something bad's going to happen. And it ha- something bad happens because you're looking for that bad. But you didn't see the 20 good things that happened in the process before that one bad thing happened. That's the same problem. Because your mind fixates so much on that label of that thing, it becomes everything. And we kind of had this theory and started talking about this back in the 50s with Bruce Lipton. And he believed solely that your cells, every little cell in your body, the billions of cells in your body, are all basically the same cell recorded over and over again. All our DNA is in one each cell. So when we start, our labels end up being branded into our DNA. You can kill one label. You can get rid of one blood cell that says, I'm not an addict anymore, or I'm not this anymore. But you have a billion other ones turning around and saying, yes, you are. You said you are. You keep saying you are. So that's what's going to happen. That's the same issue. 
And that's the ironic part is, is this is back in the 50s, but yet we're still dealing with the same mindset. And nothing has changed, even knowledge has progressed. No, this is all about psychological phenomenon, where individuals' sense of self becomes significantly distorted. And it's defined by an aspect of their life. And it overshadows everything else. And this is true to jocks, acts, and musicians. It's, that's how bad, how significant labels play a part in our lives and identifying who we are. And it can be a positive thing too, but it, it just depends on how you look at it. But it, it, labels go so far as to lead individuals to internalize and, and exaggerate certain aspects of themselves so it's all they see and focus on. And it leads to an imbalance in how you see yourself. You don't see yourself as a whole person. You see yourself in chunks of what that label is. Some of these key features and implications of this identity distortion. No, it's limited self-concept. And the easiest way to explain this, and we'll break this down even more coming up, down to the point of who you are. You will actually change your your whole lifestyle. You'll become who this person you think this person should be. And this is how much labels have an impact on your mind and how you do things. And, in, and with addiction, that limited self-concept, who are already struggling with things, when they, everything becomes centered around that addiction, everything they do. And everything they think, they see, they do, they eat, all becomes about that addict, that, pro- that problem they have. And this is where you start to neglect who you are. You lose your identity of who you are as a person. Ignore all the talent you have. You ignore all the positive things about you. You ignore all the good things that are going on in your life. And you focus squarely on that problem, that label. You start to think about all the how much bad happens and not the good. This label, struggling with food, drugs, alcohol, it doesn't matter. When you're struggling with a particular problem, 
and you start to lose who you are. And this is the same when you transition out of the military. It's the same problem because you, in the military, you associate yourself and everybody associates with you. I don't remember how many times when I was in the military and I'd be at an airport, or I'd still be in uniform and run to the grocery store. All I kept hearing was little kids telling me, oh, look, it's G.I. Joe. And this is where these labels come into play. Because when you start boot camp, you get through all the stuff, you swear in, you're told the statistics. The statistics of how many people enlist in the military, how many people make it, how many people continue on. And the number is so low, it's staggering. So it gives you that pride. So then you start to adjust to that label of being a soldier. You know, you identify as a warrior, a soldier. You're not a, a girl, you're not a boy, you're not male, you're not female. You are just a soldier. You're either an officer or you're enlisted, but you are a soldier. And the biggest challenge is, and this is where this comes into play too, with labels, is when you get out, you no longer wear that uniform. You lose who you are as an individual. <coughs> you have to figure out who you are without that label. And that is where addiction struggles the most. People who have that addiction. And some are addicted to labels. They have to define themselves. And we live in a society where, especially here in the U.S., they talk to a lot of people all over the world, and they don't have this. They don't do this as much as we do here. Here, we have to fit into a category. We have to have that sense to belong to something or someone. Like It's the same as getting married. And some people are addicted to being married. By that, they will meet a guy, get married. Not work out, divorce them, meet another guy, get married. They have to be married. And in the process, they're not looking to figure out what's wrong and why the relationships don't work. Even being addicted to being in relationships because they're scared to be alone. That they don't have that true sense of identity. They will mold themselves to whoever they're with at that time because they need that level to be needed and wanted and being part of something because they don't, they're scared to be alone. And as we're going through these labels and you're struggling with who you are and you're you have these addiction issues. This helps, this starts to diminish your self-worth. And this is a big struggle with addiction. Is when they de develop and diminish the sense of self-worth, they feel that their addictions overshadow any value as an individual. They feel there's something wrong with them. They feel that nothing's gonna change this. And this is with every label. This is why, for me, it was so crucial for my kids not to know their label. It was so crucial for them just to be told that, yes, you're different, but you're like any other kid. It's just the only difference between you and them is that your brains are wired a little differently. That's why you think differently. And then in the flip, you know, I sat down and explained to them how everybody's brain is wired differently. So everybody is different the way you think, the way you talk, the way you do things. And that's the other problem, especially with addiction, is that we live in this, even in the coaching industry and a lot of other industries, 
we live in this world of templates and scripts and one size fits all. Let's roll them all in and roll them all out on the conveyor belt. We don't take the time to figure out how people work and what will truly help them. To businesses, it's all about the numbers, the money, how much people we can roll in, how many people we can roll out. We don't really care about success. We, don't, we forget about why we're doing what we're doing. It's all about numbers. And this is where you need to sit down and figure out what works for you and make sure you have this rapport and connection with the people that are helping you. And understanding that you want to change. Because nobody can change for you. No one can make you to change. No one can help. Everyone can help and guide you, but no one can do it for you. You have to want to put the work in. Are owed a refund up to $26,000 per employee. Press 1 to file. Hey, we're getting spam already. You know you make it in the radio world when you get phone calls that are automated spam. This is where you lose your personal agency is the one word it's called. But your limited self-concept to the point that we talked about this a little bit earlier, it's to the point that you truly believe that, that, that you have no control over your life. And a lot of this has to do with the people around you, too. You know, as a family, when you're trying to help that person struggling, you want to manage them. You restrict everything they do. You sit there and you tell them, you have to do this, you have to do that. If you don't go to treatment, you don't go to this meeting, you don't do this, you don't do that, we're going to cut you out. And there used to be a TV show about it. Country, um, I'm forgetting what the word is called. In something. Intervention. There we go. We, they used to do the TV show called Intervention, where your whole family, all your surround ones, would sit there and force you into treatment. You need help. You need to do this. You need to do that. But what you don't see behind the scenes, scenes or you don't see what is asking them what do they think they need. Them being blindsided into doing what you want them to do. Well, as you're going through addiction, yes, you do a lot of selfishness. Yes, you let that concept control your life. And when you're trapped in this fixed identity as as whatever label it is, and you believe that it defines who they are and how their life is going to be turned out because that's what everybody tells you around you. You know, as an addict, you're told, well, you know, you're going to end up dead on the street. You're going to end up in jail. We focus on a scare tactic of you have to stop or you're going to die. You're going to have to stop or you're going to go to prison or you're going to end up homeless or whatever. 
but how often do you actually stop and talk to these people and find out what's going on and help them ask them questions to figure out what do they need or what, you know, you know, sitting there asking them, you know, yeah, you went through treatment, it fits. It fits. It fits. Now sit down with them and ask them why it fits. What is going on in your mind? What is going on in your world? And understanding, breaking all this down into figuring out who they are as an individual. And having that action plan to sit there and decide who you are. Remembering who you were before all this happened. Because no one's born an addict. As a baby, you know, you ate till you were full and then you'd stop. You refused food. You didn't overeat. Now, if they're not hungry, they weren't going to eat. So somewhere along the line in life, something to turn on this addiction thing. And some people are prepositioned to it. There are genetic factors when it comes to addiction. Now, in my house, both sides of my family, all the way around at 360, drugs and alcohol addiction is a problem. And I remember growing up being told this. It was never hidden from me. And being told in school, you know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, so it was all about, here's your brain, here's your brain on drugs, in a frying pan. You know, we had the scare tactics of the drugs and the drinking and, you know, and I always, you know, well, I don't want to be like that. And you're told, you know, well, if your father drinks or whatever is an alcoholic, your chances of becoming an alcoholic are higher. But I made that conscious decision to, I don't need it. I can choose to drink when I want. And I can stop when I want. And I've never had a problem with alcohol and I've never tried a drug. So I just never had an interest to it. I didn't care. Well, when you have your self-esteem, your self-worth, your identity is so low You don't have that motivation. You don't have that ambition. So setting your goals to be able to survive in life only thought processes your addiction. And when you have all these set down and you don't have these goals and these steps to help you, you don't have this belief that you can overcome it, you're not going to overcome it. All these barriers stand in your way. And then when you do have these barriers and you hit these barriers, you don't look at them as seriously because you're told it's okay. You're going to relapse. 
you're going to struggle. You're going to have that times. You know. So you're already preparing yourself in your mind that, okay, you're going to screw up. You're not going to succeed because no one expects you to. Well, if no one else thinks you're going to succeed, you're not going to think yourself is going to succeed. And as you're putting up all these walls and these barricades and all this stuff in your mind, you're telling your mind you are an addict. You are, your life is always going to be an addict. And you're going to all these treatments for whatever you're struggling with. You're telling yourself the first words of any step program is admit you have a problem. So you're admitting I'm an addict. If it's shopping, if it's food, if it's boyfriends, wives, husbands, whatever it is, you're implanting that more and more so those walls get higher and higher and higher, hindering your ability to be able to recover. And the more you don't think you're going to be able to succeed in this, and you've been through all these failed attempts before, you begin to think hopeless and lost. Because you've been told that you're going to struggle. This what you're never going to add. It's always going to be there. So then you get to the point of why? Why bother? Why one waste the money? Why waste the time? This is who I am, and that'll never change. And it's easier just to have this problem and be this problem and let it kill me than it is or have this struggle in this life than it is to actually overcome it because you're told you're not going to. And the best and easiest and the first step, and I say this is easy because it takes a little bit of research. It takes a little bit of time out of your day. It'll be also the hardest step you ever do is explore yourself. sitting down and making a list of who you are. What are your strengths? And you sit down with a notebook or, heck, we're in the digital age. Turn on Google and make a list. What are your strengths? What are your inspirations? What are your, your interests, aspirations? What is your life like? Besides addiction, don't even bring up this addiction. Look at everything around you besides that. The next approach is having a holistic approach. Working with an individual that you have a rapport with, that connection with that individual that and understands where you're coming from. And I truly, to this day, believe the best counselors, the best people to help are the ones that experience it personally. Because they can come from a frame of they've been there. You have that rapport. They understand you. When I started with my own mental health, when I had got out of the label of being a soldier to being a civilian, I worked with therapists that 
they tell you they understood, but they were in their 20s. They just graduated college. They were working with the VA because, you know, they got a job. But they never experienced anything in life. So how can you understand what we're going through if we haven't been there? You've been there. You can sympathize or parallel with that possibly, but finding that person that can help you see the whole view by asking you the right questions. A good therapist, a good counselor, a good tell you the answer. They don't give you the answers. They ask you the questions in the way that gives you that aha moment. They give you the, you give yourself the answers by asking you the right question. And that's where you really got to do your research and understand and figure out. Because no one can help you until you crucial step in all of this. And it's rewiring your brain. Reprogramming it. Rebooting it. They've got millions of words to describe it. It all means the same thing. But it's to rethink how you think. And countering that limiting belief and recognizing all your achievements and building that self-confidence and that self-esteem back up. This is where I have the other problem with a lot of our, our treatment plans is you recognize how many days you're sober. You get a chip. How many days you've been without that problem? You've managed to go through that day. And you're supposed to carry that chip with you everywhere you go. It's supposed to be in your pocket. So when you're struggling, you remind yourself how many days you're sober. Once again, that addiction problem is going to be struggling in your mind. It's always going to be in the back of your mind because you have all these little tokens connecting to that issue. To counter all that is looking at your success. It has nothing to do with the problem. You got a raise. You got a bonus at work. You found a spouse. you picked up a new hobby. It doesn't matter. All these little things and big things that have nothing to do with the problem, and you focus on those, and you celebrate those, helps put that problem in the backside of your mind to the point where it eliminates, and you don't even realize you had that problem anymore. That was in your past. And this is where words are so important. No instead of saying, I'm an addict, you say, I recovered. I've overcome this. I used to struggle with things, but I don't anymore. I am this person. I get stop letting the words of what you're told to say and told who you are control who you are in your actions. Because as you let these thoughts and society tell you who you are, and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do things. It's not going to work. You're always going to be on this conveyor belt in this loophole or one of those called, um, I always like to explain it as Christmas vacation, or was it Christmas vacation? Um, Lampoon's vacation, where they're in D.C. 
and they're on the roundabout and they're stuck on the roundabout. It's the same thing. As you try to get over and get out, something gets in your way. And those are what people are telling you you have to think. Think of all them cars that are getting in that in their way. Society, social media, professionals, family, whoever. All them people that are holding you down because they're telling you this is what you need to do. This is how you need to think. This is how you need to be. Holding you back from exiting out and getting into the city. And with social media, with everything nowadays, we are so dependent on acceptance from what others think of us. We, we are basically becoming prepositioned to need to be accepted by everybody before we're accepted by ourselves. that we need to change how we think of ourselves and we need to accept who we are and change who we are because we need to do that. We want to do that. And what we think is acceptable or we deem acceptable, our values. We don't let our values be be determined by our outside environment. Cancel culture, perfect example. If you don't agree with them, what do they do? They want you gone. And we end up with a mob-like mentality. It's the same thing with ourselves. We ourselves are our own version of cancel culture. We wait for everybody else to tell us what we need to be, who we need to be. And we cancel ourselves to be what they want us to be. And we do it to our kids. We shape and mold our kids, and we, a lot of people convince their kids to go to college for years for something they don't even want to do. Because that's what we think they need to be, do this or do this. Because that's what we as parents believe our kids need to be. We stifle their creativity and their identities because we force them into becoming the mold of what we want or we view as the perfect child. And what and as parents in society you have to fit into that mold. You know, our kids can't act up. They have to be per- perfect and they have to yes ma'am, no ma'am, whatever. Children are living, breathing, mind not mindless, minded individuals who have an opinion. So look at back when they were three. They didn't develop that filter yet. So whatever went in the brain came out the mouth. It's the same thing. And we stifle that as they get older. Same with the emotions. We stifle them, and it's not something we do out of malicious intent, but you stifle them into being polite. I'm not saying your kids aren't supposed to be polite. What I'm saying is that there's, when they say things that may not or maybe they're rude or impolite, instead of telling them we don't say things like that, teach them how to reword it. Or we teach them that, okay, well, 
can you, instead of saying that in front of that person, can you wait till you walk away and then ask the question? No, reword things. So, I have been babbling. So, I'm opening up the phone lines to whoever has a comment. I'm sure yeah, I have not. Go ahead. I was just going to tell you, I haven't heard you in a long time. <laughs> Go ahead. Mary, I, I just want to say that's just such powerful information that you're sharing from a perspective that if that was a, 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 a neutral perspective, because my granddaddy told me, baby, when you get out there in life, again, how we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to go to school, get a good education, go to college, get a degree, get a job, get married, have 2.3 children, build a white fence, and live happily ever after. At one point in my life, I thought, wow, they lied about life because everything that they told me that was supposed to happen wasn't or didn't happen. And then all the athletes that I saw that were high school All-Americans going to be go straight to 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 professional football and make all this money and well, play, play professional baseball and make all this money. It For some reason, the people around me, it never happened. There was always a booby trap that came in. And then, Mary, you just kind of briefly mentioned how we, as parents, we raised the child up the way that we would have them to go, but all of a sudden, you are grown, going to college to be a dentist like your mom or like your dad, or you're going to be this because your dad was one and your granddaddy was one, but you wanted to play in the band, but nobody really ever asked you until they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars for you to be in a career that you really never wanted to be in because they forgot to ask you. They asked us when we were children, what do you want to be, Mary, when you grow up? The biggest joke that I've ever had in my life is when I asked my son one time, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I want to be a, I want to be a lawyer and help. Innocent people get out of jail, and then he goes for a dinosaur. Wait a minute! How you go from a doctor to a dinosaur? But I look at him in his eyes and say, "Baby, if you want to be a dinosaur, I want you to be the best dinosaur that you could possibly ever be." And he says, "Okay, I'd rather be a doctor though." I was just checking. So I'm going to kind of just stop right there, Mary, because the information, you were uh, last what last off for me. You're saying what most people think and what most people are afraid to say or they could come up with the words that were compassionate enough to stay mutual but really speak the truth because you laid down a lot of evidence that the truth has been kind of hidden. And, again, it's not like spandex. It's one size fits all, as you briefly pointed out in there, Mary, that one lifestyle is not going to fit everybody. And just because everybody in your family has been there, done that, and this is what you should do, or do you want to be a dinosaur? 
you know, when you talk about that, I think back to like the seventies and the eighties. You know, it was okay to be a princess. Princess Diana made it okay for every girl to want to be a princess. You know, it was okay because she no longer was this this woman that wore ball gowns and smiled and sat next to the husband, the king, the prince. She was the one that was out there, you know, dealing with landmines and speaking out. And then after everything that happened, hang on, Izzy, Wyatt, a garbage man comes at the wrong time every week. And my dog's barking, and he knows. Drives me nuts. But, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, Barbie used to be great. We used to love Barbie. Barbie was a symbol of what you could be because you were a girl. And we think of it now through our the eyes now and everybody has to protest Barbie. But when you think back, Bobby, Barbie was created back in the 50s, in the 60s, when women were just leaving the home to join the workforce. And really, what were they? They were teachers and librarians and secretaries. There were very few that were doctors and lawyers and things like that, even though we had lawyers that were women back in the 1800s. But that is how we have been struck with our minds and how we're told to think for so long. And we have no sense of self-worth. So what we're doing is we're going backwards instead of forwards and instead of opening our minds and accepting things, we're closing everything out. And we're repeating the stupid cycle all over again. I mean, we have geniuses that not only do it flat. Google it. Everywhere. Go ahead, country. No, I was just going to say, don't accidentally wear a pair of pants or put on a suit and a tie and come in a room full of men and you got a suit and a pair of pants on and they would look at you and say, who does she think she is? I mean, who do you think I am? A woman in a suit? Superwoman, maybe? Wonder Woman, maybe? How about a military mom? A military officer? How about a mom of two children, how about a, a a wife, how about I'm a teacher, an educator, a massage therapist, boom, 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 and they start to read your resume. Then they're really offended, Mary. Again, but when you start talking about how we've been conditioned, somebody told you that you need to sleep eight hours. You need to go get a job. You need to eat lunch at noon. You need to have sick days. You need to have – they've always told us what we need to do and had the audacity to tell you how long you should be able to go eat lunch or how long you should be able to go on a vacation. Or if you stay sick too many long on your sick days, we'll find somebody else to replace you. You know, it's a it's a conditioning thing. And then, Mary, when we start, if we we even we don't even have to flip the switch, we could just turn the dial just a little bit and start talking about people that have superpowers, like we talked about earlier. 
deep, blind, dumb, whatever, whatever, whatever. They throw them all in one big giant pile. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they just been labeled. I was labeled. I, I, they've made fun of me for 20 years because in my community, we was outside of the community. We got 911 in 2019. So Country Boy every day had to ride the short bus is what they called it, Barry. So what kind of label do you think that put on to me that I was the one that came in on the short bus, but I had an IQ of 162 at the age of 15. They called me boy genius, but no one understood me. The old people told me I was too grown for my britches. What does that mean? Because you partake in conversations that deeper than most kids have. But see, now, if you look and flip the switch, your daughter, Ariana, at the crazy age of eight, was doing international commercials. She was already publishing her book. These things wasn't cool to outset the norm or step outside of the box, as they call it nowadays, Mary. You, 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 you said she's outside the box. Oh, you need to think outside the box. It's okay to think outside of the box, but try to do something outside of the box that eyes have never seen and ears have never heard and see won't they talk about you. I just kind of stop right there, Mary, just powerful stuff that you put down, sweetie. I still struggle with that because of the way I do things. I am called a lot of different things because I don't believe in following the norm when it comes to how to deal with my kids because they are autistic. I believe in the holistic approach. I believe in slowing things down. I believe in listening to them and getting information from them and working with them instead of working either for them, which a lot of parents do now. Your kids dictate what you're going to do, and it blows my mind. But there's a middle ground. And the way I do things works. You get that success. And you have this misconception that when you hear autism and parenting, your life is stressed and it's horrible and you don't have time for showers. You don't have time to live or do anything. To have all this help around you all the time because you can't deal with it. And that's just a preconceived notion. I guess so that's not So question, Mary, before we run out of time. Um, we, I was talking about raise a child up the way that could go, to have them to go, and then here you are 40, 50, 60 years old, and you don't live at home with your mom and them anymore. And then you run around and hear certain 70% of the information that we take in on a day-to-day basis is negative. And you might have heard this cliche before, Mary. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, what about an old person or an older person? Can Is it possible that Kentucky Fried Chicken Man is that rightful age of 72 since I have an idea that women are now working and they can't be home for dinner to cook like they normally do. So why don't I start me a business to where they could take dinner home in a box, in a bucket? That'd be cool. Oh. Colonel Sanders. So you hear about all these, excuse my friends, elders, 
that start a business at a rightful old age, if I can use that. Good things come with age, y'all. I forgot to tell y'all that. If you haven't experienced some things, just live a while longer, and you'll start to see some of the things that Mary are telling you are coming true. But now that we have access to the Internet, access to world without leaving home, access to be a home mom and work from home like you're doing now, Mary. But what about somebody out there that didn't go to college? Oh, I forgot to tell you, it's not going to get you no front row seat in heaven or a box seat in heaven just because you don't have no college degree or graduated from Harvard or Yale or just got out of jail. There is a position for you, and just because you showed up, the world will never be the same. If you figure out what your God-given purpose is and activate it, push to activate, but regardless on how you age, today is the beginning of the rest of your life, and we're living for today and we're not promised tomorrow. This God that we serve is the only person that has the power to change your past, and we're going to put some of those things behind you. You will never, ever, ever see them again. They say we're living for today. Well, guess what? He's in control of your today, and he's already peeped into your destiny and not try to figure out how to get you to your destiny. Oh, yeah. He's taking you through a few obstacle courses to get you to where you are right now. But please believe me when I say in closing, he's not surprised to see where you are at this particular point in your life. He's not only the writer and the controller of our lives, you were designed in his own image, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But the most powerful force in the universe is the power of the human mind. If you go ahead and change your mind, God will kick in the turbo boosters in your heart, and you can do what you really put here to do. And in that way, every man... Every woman, every boy, and every girl will get the opportunity to come together to help make for a better world. Back to you, Mary. You know, and that is so true. And that we are still, the human body and the human brain especially, we only understand a small, significant part of how it works. Um, I, actually, Andre, I just sent you an article um, a group of scientists recently think they figured out just a small area of the brain and what how, where the conscious part of the brain actually sits. But it's still all theory. And that is it. Everything in life is literally a theory. You know, how long ago dinosaurs lived, what they look like, is all based on theory. How we live our lives. Nothing is concrete. And everything in our minds, and what even what we see, what colors look like, that is all based on what we're told it looks like. You know, you're told that grass is green, the sky is blue, sun's yellow question for you to think about is, if you were never told that, would you still see green as green? That's how powerful our minds are. And the first step to dealing with they type of problem, especially like addiction, is learning how to see things differently. 
and to overcome those issues is how you think differently. We're going to continue this on at our regular show this afternoon, but our Mind Matter show is going to be a half hour delayed. It'll be at 3.30 instead of 3 Eastern time. I completely forgot what I set up my son's doctor appointment like six months ago. So I will be a little bit late. So we'll be at 3.30 Eastern time on this channel instead of 3. Anything you want to add on? Beautiful message today. Almost really glitchy on my end for some reason. But yeah, thank you. Uh, really deep message. And I'm looking at this article too. Oh, I can't hear anything. Anyway, catch you later. God bless. We, Take care, everybody. Yeah. But um, we are going to talk about that article next week on Mind Matters. And <laughs> dive more into the subconscious. So, have a good day. See you back here at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Optimize My Life Radio. We hope you found today's show insightful and empowering. Remember to follow us on social media at Optimize My Life for updates, additional resources, and to stay connected with our community. Join us back here tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern for another enriching episode as we continue our journey towards a more fulfilling and optimized life. Until then, take care, and remember to make each day count.